A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 109 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Our episodes, they can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the doubt in Dina Shan's mind, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. I believe that means uh, I'm fired, apparently, because after the story in this episode, Dina Shan's uh, doubts are gone. So, later. <laughs> no, is that not what that, not, not what was meant by that? Well, well apparently they evaporated like uh, fuel going up. <laughs> I've been Jay Leno'd. Anyway, <laughs> before we start, folks, uh, one of the things that we've been doing since our 100th episode, of course, is those giveaways. We'll give you a quick rundown of the winners so far, what giveaways are left, and that sort of thing, so that if you are of a mind to enter, then you have the opportunity still to do so. Alright, so, we gave away a copy of Mercy Kill to Drew Nick, a greater good signed to Jared Hotard, or Hotard, H-O-T-A-R-D, a copy of Crucible to Daniel Contreras, and a copy of both versions of Preludes, Wars the Battle of Phobos Preludes, the out-of-print version and the current version, both uh, signed to Glenn Stein. And then we have Scoundrels, given, this is our new winner for this week, given to Rick Weibel, W-E-I-B-E-L. We then have four other ones still going, but one of them may be over by the time that you hear this. On the day this episode is to be released, January 31st, uh, we have the deadline to enter for the first signed Star Wars Tales Equals and Opposites comic pack. My comic story with the figures based on it and such, where I'd sign either the package itself or the comic, depending on what the person wants. In that case, to enter, you email swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com, put your mailing address in there as the body of the email, and have the subject line be comic pack one or equals and opposites one. Either way, we'll take, we've had people sending it with either one. It's supposed to be equals and opposites one, but comic pack one works just as well. Then we have Dawn of the Jedi, Into the Void, the hardback, which also, of course, includes that short story, Eruption. To enter to win that, same email address, swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Same body of the email, your name and mailing address, and the subject line in that case should be Into the Void. Then we have another signed copy of my time travel novel, Greater Good. To enter to win that one, uh, you use the subject line, Greater Good 2, and we have, as announced last time, the last of the extra Star Wars Tales comic packs in my possession. Uh, another signed Equals and Opposites comic pack. Send us, again, an email, name and address in the, in the uh, body of the email, subject line, again, comic pack 2 or Equals and Opposites 2. If you want to enter for Into the Void, the deadline is February 7th. For the second signed copy of Greater Good, it is February 14th. And for that last comic pack, it is February 21st. Also, just so you know, as we get to the end of all of these giveaways, I found a bunch of cards that I have. Um, 
basically years ago, uh, as we headed into convention season, Star Wars Action News, which is a show that I do segments for from time to time, I guest on from time to time. Uh, that whole family of podcasts, the Venganza podcast, which was Star Wars Action News, which I do the segments for sometimes, uh, Star Wars Action News Book Club podcast, which I was a regular on, but that's pretty much on hiatus at this point, and Republic Forces Radio Network, which just ended, which of course is sort of blending together with the team from this show to give us Rebels Roundtable in the near future. Uh, as we headed to convention season, that group put together a set of cards, 15 trading cards, that had individual members of the team shown on the card, and it had information like, you know, what role do they play in different things, what's their favorite Star Wars collectible, whatever, just kind of a neat little thing. So if you ran into any of us at a convention, you could get one of those cards and hopefully someday manage to get all 15. Well, since I don't go to the conventions and such, they just sent me a big old stack of those cards, and they've pretty much just been sitting here at this point, along with some cards that I pulled from my Wars, not Star Wars, but Wars, the Decipher trading card game uh, cards, because they were based on characters that I would be using in the Wars, the Battle of Phobos. So the novellas that I wrote, for instance, Janet Yens is a character, so I pulled out all the level 2 guru cards, which is what introduced us to Janet Yens in the first place, uh, with the idea being that I could sign those also and give those away at conventions whenever I do panels and such, but I haven't done a whole lot of those since I actually pulled the cards. So I've got a stack of a good number of cards here of both types. The Star Wars Action News trading card of me, uh, and then those trading cards from the Wars game that happen to be characters from Prelude. So we'll be setting up something in the near future uh, as this set of giveaways is ending, so that if you, say, have a copy of the Essential Atlas with the date stuff that I had the chance to do, or Star Wars Tales 21, or Star Wars Tales Volume 6, and you want to have one of those signed cards to go in your little poly bag or whatever with that, so that it's not that that is signed, but hey, you've got a card that's signed, so you can put it in there with it. That's kind of nice. Um, we'll be able to set up something where people can essentially request that, because basically for me, all it is is the cost of a stamp to mail that out to somebody within the U.S. Um, same thing with the, the war stuff. We'll do something where if you've bought one of the novellas, either in print or ebook form, you can do something to basically show, hey, look, see, I've got it, and I'll sign one of those cards and send it out while supplies last. But that's something I'll work the logistics out of in the near future. So in about a month's time, once we've announced these last four winners of the giveaways, um, I'll be letting you know that, so if you're interested in it, you can still get something to put with your little items as we wrap up our, our celebration of that 100th episode a while back. You know, I got about four or five uh, little signed stickers like that from Karen Travis that she sent to me from uh, across the sea, you know. Mm-hmm. They were quite cool, you know, all personalized, but they're just little stickers that go into whichever book. Because I was asking, you know, hey, can I get a book signed stuff? Well, it'll be easier to do it this way, and you probably won't get the book stolen. <laughs> yeah, the, the book plates and stuff. That's the same thing with – um. Uh, there was a point at which when I interviewed Kevin J. Anderson back for – I guess it was Chrono Radio. Um, he had sent me a uh, – I forget how exactly it worked. I would interviewed him, and I would put together an audio drama style trailer for his Saga of Seven Sons novels that I was really getting into. Um, nice. And as a thank you to that, he not only sent a signed book to everybody who had been involved, the entire cast of that trailer, um, but we had also kind of set up a rapport where he wound up sending – a whole bunch of signed book plates to me. So at this point, I've got that whole series signed and enough book plates still sitting there that when he finally does release the prequel series to that, I'll be able to put in the book plates to those. So book plates, the little signed stickers, it's a cool way of getting stuff signed. That's actually also how my 
I've got that limited edition uh, Phantom Menace novelization and limited edition Revenge of the Sith novelization where they're in those slip cases with the slightly different covers. They're like the limited yeah. numbered signed by the author thing. I don't have that for Attack of the Clones because I've only seen that on eBay once. I didn't even know it existed until Chris Walker, I think it was, pointed it out to me. But I've got a copy of that second cover version of Attack of the Clones. I think it's second or first. I can't remember. Um, but that one's got book plates signed inside it. And one of them signed by the author, R.A. Salvatore. The other one's signed by Hayden Christensen. So I thought that was kind of a neat huh. thing to do. I, back when I was really getting heavily into the Star Wars autograph collecting before money started being tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we explore issues 11 through 14 of Dark Horse Comics' Star Wars Rebellion, also known as Volume 3, Small Victories, written by Jeremy Barlow. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Now, the publisher summary goes, Lieutenant Dina Shan is feeling insecure and worthless. After a few nearly disastrous missions with the Rebel Alliance, she's ready to give up and go home and leave the Rebellion to the true heroes. That is, until Dina becomes part of a suicide mission that could hit the Empire where it really hurts. But when Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia are captured in process, Dina must reconcile herself to complete this mission and save the two figureheads of the Rebellion and many others, single-handed. Will she succeed? Or will this be Dina's last mistake? A good summary of the scenario, though it does pretty much recap the first issue and a half out of four, so it gives away a bit. Um, but it certainly gives you the sense of what this story is supposed to be about and who it's supposed to be about. Um, this is actually a, a story that... It's another one of these ones that should have had effects beyond itself, but didn't mainly because the Rebellion series ended after the next couple of issues when they did their part of Vector. Remember, our big thing here, our big ponder is whether or not Star Wars Vector did what it was supposed to do, that big crossover or cross-through. Did it really build effectively on the characterizations and such we'd seen earlier in the four series that it's involved with? Does it really set up major changes for what is to come? To do that, we need to know what was there first, hence with us having about 52 episodes a year, focusing in from time to time on these different arcs we can build up to talk about Vector. Um, and it's unfortunate, because you know Dina Shan is becoming a character that is very fully realized as a female character, um, which is not necessarily the most common thing in Star Wars, see a strong female character. We've got a few, and it certainly became synonymous with the idea of strong female characters thanks to Leia in the classic trilogy, but since then, there haven't been nearly as many who weren't stereotypical or overly sexualized uh, as one would have possibly hoped within Star Wars. We've covered that on the show before. Um, so we get a story here that basically it picks up with characters that we've met in previous stories, that's kind of what rebellions tended to do. We get Abel, uh, we get Basso, we wind up getting Dina Shan, of course, back, who showed up back in Empire alone together. Basically picking up on stories where, for the most part, it's either the main characters, minus Han until the very end in this case, and characters that for the most part were introduced either in Rebellion or its precursor series, Empire. And you get the sense that we're building towards something. And it turns out that with this being essentially the climax of the character arcs 
for those two series. Turns out it was all building towards the wrap-up of Dina Shan and her own personal demons. She thinks of herself as kind of a screw-up of a goofball, and the readers have sort of been made to think that about her in the past as well. Now is her chance to actually prove herself uh, and face those doubts. Does she face things that, in this case, seem like they would be faced only by a woman within stereotypes? Yes and no. We'll get to those as we go along, but it's one of the few times where I think, except for one or two instances, you could have taken out this female character, put in a male character, and it would have been just as strong a characterization. So it's not harping on the fact that she's a woman. It's focusing on the character as an equal to everyone else, at least in terms of how much attention to detail they get into her psyche and how much they focus on the character rather than stereotype. That is very impressive. Mm. Um, full disclosure, the person who wrote this, Jeremy Barlow, is the one who hired me to write for Tales, um, so I have a, a soft spot for his work, but at the same time, yeah, I like his work because I like his work. He's also the guy that did uh, Jedi Yoda and some of these other stories that usually are more thought-provoking and deeper in terms of the psychology of it than a lot of the other Star Wars stories that we get. So if this is going to be the penultimate arc and be the one that introduces what is, in theory, a new Starfighter at the time, the one that we've seen since Return of the Jedi, and be the penultimate one of this series as we head towards Vector, uh, it's a pretty strong ending. I would have loved to have seen it go somewhere where Dina could then move on into bigger and better things, but... For what it is, it's definitely an enjoyable story and probably one that you should check out. Yeah, I like the progression of the character. I mean, I, I like the fact that she had the doubts and stuff. I think it made her real. It grounded her in, in the everyman syndrome, you know? I mean, a lot of people go into t into wars and stuff and are doubting what they're capable of and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, and it played well. You know, Barlow does a really good job of it. The art, you know, it, it's got kind of like a, a Star Wars invasion feel at times. Obviously, it's the same artist. Uh, there's a couple scenes where, like, Luke kind of looks a little more caveman than, than normal. But, you know, aside from a couple little things like that and, and him and Dina, like, sitting in a room every, at the very end where they kind of look like like Luke's visiting himself. <laughs> there are little things like that. But for the most part, I really love it. Uh, the space battles and stuff, glorious. The B-Wing fighter scenes are all really cool. Uh, and, and the covers, you know, we'll get to the covers at the end, but really quick in the spoiler free part, I just want to say, I like that the covers all for the, for the most part, focus on Dina. You know, the last one is the one that they use for the cover of the trade paperback, which is what I have. Uh, and it's got all the B wings, but that was perfect. Like they waited till the very last to have that. And it's all Dina all the way up into there. So it's, it's really her story with Luke and, and Leia on the sidelines, but they're also equally there. And they're also doing just as much stuff, which kind of adds to the pressure that Dina's putting on herself because she's here with those true heroes as she sees them. But it's also cool because you see Princess Leia again in action. You know, I mean, you know, Brian Wood, you're not the first one to put her into s scenarios like this. And we get to see that really cool uh, New Republic commando armor that they're wearing, you know, when they go in on the drop and Leia and her and Abel take uh, charge of one whole section of blowing up the fuel tanks and stuff. I, I It was a really cool moment. You know, Leia was able to do some of her stuff and, and I wasn't like, all, oh my gosh, what is she doing? You know, it, it worked. It played well. Uh, the the station banister station they show up. Uh, it was it was an interesting twist, you know. I mean, in the last story they kind of just jumped out last minute, and it turns out where they land is a prime opportunity to take a, a quick strike if they can afford to do it. And they decide, you know, we can afford to do it if it's a suicide run. Let's do it. Let's let's nail these suckers one time. And, you know, by the end of the day, it, it all works out. They have a moment kind of like uh, in Empire Strikes Back where Luke comes or Leia comes back for Luke. Only this time it's Luke coming back from Dina. 
I I loved it. It had a lot of classic motifs that showed up and, you know, some that you weren't expecting. I mean, there were there were moments there where, you know, Dina's up on the rail and she's being chased by uh, uh Vatic or whatever that the one Rishik. The second handman. Rishik, yeah. Uh I like the way it played out. Like you know, the 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 internal monologue going on inside the little thought boxes of what she's thinking and 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 like, you know, when when it's all about ready to blow up and stuff, and she's wrapping the cord around her arm. Like I, I don't know, I bought into it. I was totally digging the character. I was really looking forward to where we we're gonna go from here. And heck, I mean, if they wanted to go back and kind of pick up this character again, I'd be down for that like this character she played and she could also equally be a love interest for luke down the road if they wanted to to mess with that as well so i mean you know i writing her completely out of the eu i mean hey you know people come back so maybe this would be a good character to bring back someday i don't know maybe she could beat up or get into a spatting match with a a prithy like yeah well, I went on a suicide mission and saved everybody. Oh, yeah, well, I can freaking hear Obi-Wan. Slap, 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 slap. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. All right. Well, as I said, this begins with issue number 11. Uh, we find Rebel One, not Home One, two different ships. Rebel One uh, being in that escape mode, I guess you could say, from what we saw back in My Brother, My Enemy. Now, yes, there has been an arc in between, the Ahakista Gambit, uh, but that didn't focus on really most of the main characters. If anything, it brought together characters from other stories that had previously existed by Rob Williams, and it was just kind of there. It was all there just to get Will Tarson in a position where he's in Imperial hands when that could have been done in like a scene or two in this story. Kind of a missed opportunity there if this series was known to be ending just two arcs away with Vector. Uh, but they're escaping after My Brother, My Enemy. Dina is uh, basically beating up herself because of her ineffectiveness and some of the things that she has done as far as making mistakes that's harmed the Rebel Alliance, right? We saw her back in Alone together, we saw her in the wrong side of the war, then My Brother, My Enemy, and now she's back. And basically there's her uh, freezing a little bit when trying to save Han back in Alone together, there's her on the mission to Callist, uh 6 whenever they wind up running into uh, Joran Sol and saving him, uh, where she had apparently fallen for... Uh, the Imperial officer who was there uh, when she was essentially undercover. We see her back from My Brother, My Enemy. She's the one um, that Sol tried to kill whenever he was initially freed. Uh, and she wasn't able to save everyone. It was Luke uh, who managed to save everyone and Leia who managed to save everyone, of course, from Janik Tank Sumber. Basically, she feels sort of like she's the fifth wheel and she's packing up and basically ready to leave the Alliance. And it's it's one of those, she's so absorbed in her thoughts about this that it plays out in a way that's very human. Uh, first, I guess I should probably say that uh, from an artistic standpoint, um, she's wearing the same thing that she was, I believe it was back in My Brother, My Enemy, like the tank top type deal, but uh, Colin Wilson does not go to great lengths to overly sexualize the character, which is nice. He just treats her like any other character. There's a couple shots where he kind of does, but I think it's more to emphasize she's a woman rather than a man as opposed to uh, per personally, purposely over-sexualizing the character. But he asked, basically asked Luke about his dad, you know, do you get along with your dad? And Luke starts to answer. She just cuts him off like she's not listening with, you know, mine always such and such, which I mean, it's 
kind of rude, but it's a very human moment of, you know, it's, it's like that was a rhetorical question. I really didn't care about your answer. I was segueing into telling you how crappy my daddy was. And basically, she's been dealing with these insecurity issues and inadequacy issues all her life thanks to her father who basically wanted a boy. She wasn't one and, and just never expected her to really amount to anything. So she's arguing with Luke over whether she can amount to anything and, you know, you know he's the hero He's the one who's able to blow up the Death Star. Um, she wouldn't have even known what to do at that moment or the exact moment to fire, not because she doesn't have the force, but simply because she's not what heroes are made of, at least in her estimation. Uh, and as they're finishing their conversation, they come out of hyperspace unexpectedly, and we will find that it is at the Imperial Refueling Station, Banastar Station. And uh, just to round out this little segment that here, this part of the issue, part of the story, I do have to say that there's this level of really whenever they happen to randomly jump to hyperspace and happen to conveniently have popped up at Banastar Station, a place they could hit to really harm the Empire. Um, if this was one of those cinema sins, uh, everything wrong with videos on YouTube, this would be a sin of convenience. However, <laughs> well, in didn't reading... Jorl... Didn't he send them there? Wasn't he the one that, that sent them off in the last arc? Well, they, they, send, they send them off, but I don't know that he punched in specific coordinates. Uh, it says, that it, it, even Tungo Lee says, we've been jumping randomly through hyperspace since the Empire's ambush. Um, we tweaked Doran uh -huh. Sol's jump algorithm, so we, never, we were never quite sure where we'd end up. Now, though I would say, though, that in reading Honor Among Thieves, uh, comes out in a couple of months, really good Star Wars book, doesn't have much of an impact on things, but James Corey, the amalgam of two authors that make the name James Corey, um, does an incredible job of capturing the voices and the attitudes of the characters. He absolutely nails them, should come back to write more Star Wars. But he has the Han character thinking a few times about the idea of how it seems like sometimes, he may not believe in the Force, he may just believe in luck and such, but it's hard to to argue that sometimes it seems like things just sort of line up just right with coincidences to make things happen for him and these other characters who are around him within the Rebel Alliance. You know, how one thing different could have led to a different ending, but instead, all the ducks lined up in a row, and boom, you've got exactly where they need to be. So in that light, this is another one of those, wow, it's a convenience, but maybe it's just the will of the Force that this happened. It's just the way Star Wars works. And it works well. I mean, I, I you mentioned the, the scene where Luke uh, is being asked about his father. I love the way that plays. What? I don't know. I've never spoken to him. He's, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like he's almost said it. <laughs> and I don't think at this point he's really kind of confessed that to too many people too, which is like, huh? okay. So he obviously trusts Dina. Like, you know, you get this feeling like, you know, he sees a little of himself in her almost like, you know, like he was once in that same boat where he had all these hopes and dreams, but yet it was actually a little harder to kind of fulfill them at first. And then, Oh, wait, what? I got the force on my side. Uh, you know, there, there is that question I have to, to ask though, you know, a Sean by any other name, is this possibly a descendant of Revan here? I mean, could she be in fact like, you know, force potential of some sort? Be interesting if she was, I don't know that they've ever made any, suggestions in that regard or if they have it certainly isn't something that's been confirmed she's just sort of a rebel character i mean there, there are thousands of years yeah. between those two eras she could very well be like the the cousins 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 cousin 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 etc etc as kid i mean heck they, yeah. can't, they can't even pin down for us exactly what relation anya solo has to han and leia <laughs> at this point 
Well, there was always a part of me that used to think, you know, maybe Revan was a descendant of the Skywalkers or something. But, you know, in that regard, it would be interesting if it was like a, you know, long lost, you know, Sean cousin of or maybe it was Theron's family or something, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like uh, the fact that we've got all the characters at this point. The art is really playing. I like it. You know, the characters actually look like themselves for the most part. Um, you know, when we get to Bannister Station, I, I like the fact that it's considered, you know, the Imperial refueling station. But later in the arc, it gets a little more complicated in my head. You know, it originally it kind of like looks like it's just one big station. But I think it's like an issue three or four where you see an overview and it's kind of like, uh, you know, Star Destroyers coming up to little hubs off the station. So I'm not quite exactly sure how the station's all interconnected. Like if, if each one of these are, are kind of like extended, like uh sky hooks or something, you know, that, that the star destroyers kind of clip onto the side, or were we just dealing with one of the hubs, you know, like that, that never quite really explained itself. Well, I don't know. It's one of those things where I just, I, I look at that first scene where they first show it. And it's like, you get this feeling like it's almost like a, a giant inside of a star destroyer or something or a death star. But then at the later one, uh, yeah, it's an issue for it. Right, right when she's like hanging from all the explosive stuff, you get like an overview of the planet and you see multiple of the stations and stuff and you only see one of them exploding. So it's that was kind of confusing because the plan seemed like, you know, once we ignite this bomb, everything's going to go off. So that first image kind of threw my mental image of what Bannister Station looked like off. And from there, I've never quite consolidated it. I think it's that you've got all these different uh, the, the refueling s- whatever you want to call them, the, the little pod things that have the fuel in it and everything that the ships come up to, they're in clusters, but then they're connected by cables and such back to you know, a, a central control area, in a sense. Um, which makes sense if you're going to fit a bunch of Star Destroyers in there. It needs to be big, and it needs to be somewhat spaced out so the Star Destroyers and stuff can be able to make it you know, close enough to them to be able to refuel. Uh, what we get, essentially, is that Tungo Lee realizes where they are. And uh, the argument is made of whether or not it is worth their lives to go on basically a suicide mission because they couldn't call for backup or they'll wind up bringing other rebels into a position where they could be captured. Uh, Whether it's worth their lives to send in a team to basically destroy the station and wipe out this major uh, facility for the Empire. Kind of like going after the Imperial facility back in Ahakista Gamba. This series is kind of getting into the, well, it's not super weapon of the week, it's super important Imperial target of the week. Uh, and in this case, Banistar Station is the one. Uh, Tungo Lee decides to stay behind with some members of his team, essentially aboard Rebel One, to use it as a, a suicide bombing type ship, a kamikaze type ship, um, while a bunch of the civilians and such, or the, or the other rebels who don't want to be part of this mission, are sent away on a regular transport. And then the strike team itself, which is uh, Luke, Dina, who thinks about it for a little bit and then decides to join them, essentially following her heart as opposed to following logic, she says. Uh, and Leia and Abel and Basso and such, they all are part of this bigger strike team that is going to actually try to make it to the station and blow it up. I mean, kind of make a surgical strike, put some explosives on the different fuel canisters, blow them up, and in doing so, cause a chain reaction to blow up the entire station. Um, so it's it's a kind of a creative way, I guess, to narrow it down so instead of this being an entire ship worth of Rebels versus the station, it becomes a handful of characters that we can follow. But that makes the rest of the issue essentially uh, Devox, who is the uh, commander of the facility, and Rishik, who is this long-haired, goateed, uh, savage individual straight out of Game of Thrones as 
uh, essentially the, the second in command from our perspective, just as a as a reader of this, um, they're basically trying to to capture these rebels, saying, "Hey, you know, here's this ship coming in." Uh, they're not even trying to effectively hide that they're rebels. Ha 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 ha! And of course, as it gets close, Chungo Lee blows it up. It manages to damage the station a little bit, but it also provides the cover to allow the strike team to release in these cool uh, Rebel Commando EVA suits and basically fly down, dive down, uh, onto the fuel containers. But that in and of itself, kind of neat, but it was kind of like the, oh, wow, it worked. They blew up the phallic ship, and yes, look at some of the artwork. It's a very uh, batten balls type of of design for a lot of parts (laughs) of that ship. Um, They blew up the ship. And, which may be a woman empowerment thing. Just kidding. Um, they blow up the ship, and they manage to drop down. And if this was just about any other storyline, that would have been the end of the issue. Oh, look, the Rebels made it. How are they going to continue on with their mission? The Imperials have been fooled. And instead, we get a last page where Devox and Rishik are sitting around a table and basically talking about how, of course we're being infiltrated. Of course that was cover. We know Rebels drop down. We pretty much know where they are. Hang back and let's just see how far they get, and then we'll capture Skywalker and Organa, and everybody else is expendable. I like the fact that they put that twist on what is kind of a a standard storytelling thing. Hey, look, big explosion or big event over here is a distraction to allow our heroes to sneak in. Look, they've snuck in successfully. Becomes, look, they've snuck in, but successfully, not so much. That made for a, a nice moment. I was impressed yeah. that they didn't go with just sort of the standard storytelling there. Which, it was a great twist. I mean, and you add to the fact that earlier when they were doing the planning, you know, Basso, I love how he goes, you know, we've wanted to hit this place for months. He never thought there was a way to sneak up on it. And Luke goes, and now we've done it by accident. We'll never get another shot like this. We have to destroy it. Destroy it with what? The power of positive thinking? I, I just... <laughs> I love the way he's kind of like cynical to Skywalker. <laughs> and, you know, then Leia, she's like the one that decides for everyone. She's like, but I'm making a stand here. And it's just kind of like, you know, wow. Okay, so Leia's decided it's done. Okay. And, you know, you know who has the power, you know, which gets back to the beginning when you were talking about how, you know, Rebel One is an Imperial uh, flagship. That kind of threw me off originally, you know, because it said an Alliance flagship. And it wasn't until we got to the next, you know, at the beginning of the next one where it's like the Alliance flagship designated home one. I'm like, wait, why is this one the flagship? The other one's an. And then I go back. I'm like, oh, Rebel One home one. Okay. Because for a, a while there when I read it, I was thinking that Rebel One was just like an acting home one for a bit. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is like how they go from that to that. Okay. But no, I was totally not paying attention to the title of the name. Uh but I really got to say, I really like the armor and, and take a moment here to talk about those comic two packs that we had mentioned for your giveaway. Uh, th- they had a, a, a Sean, Adina Sean and uh, Luke Skywalker in these commando ones. I don't have it, unfortunately, but it was one of those ones that I always wished I would have got because I really like the, the look of these uh commando suits they got you know they've got the uh, shoulders got a rebel and sim- uh, signal on it and then down by the elbows there's also another one of the rebel logos and i don't know it's, it's a really cool also kind of looks like maybe down at the knee they have the same thing but it's like all black kind of kind of looks trooper like but you know it looks like it also functions better than stormtrooper armor you know I, I i don't know if there was ever much backstory as to you know where they got all the armor and all that kind of stuff but it was kind of cool to see it show up that you know they also had their own signature suit of armor and for what it's worth you know if you do go on somewhere like ebay or whatever make sure you're seeing a picture if you were to look for that comic pack because there were actually two comic packs that were luke and dina 
There was this one, but there was also a Luke and Dina comic pack where they were in the Imperial disguises from uh, the wrong side of the war, from the previous time. So we move into issue number two of this, or issue number 12 of Rebellion. Um, A message from Tungo Lee has reached the Rebel fleet, or what what there is of the Rebel fleet that's been cobbled together, basically Home One and then everybody else that's there. Uh, Akbar and Lieutenant Pollard, who will wind up playing more of a role later, are basically discussing their alternatives at this point, the fact that these people have been through hell, they're in no position to go on a rescue mission or anything. Um, them, that is, including Captain Dantels, which I thought was kind of neat to see her back again from you know, X-Wing Rogue Squadron 1 half and Dark Lighter and whatnot. So um, they're sort of talking about, you know, what are their options going to be, but a message is going to reach them from Tungo Lee saying, you know, this is a suicide mission. We basically are going to die on this. By this point, we may be dead already. But it shows you that sort of on the, the home one side of things, movements are afoot to try to rescue these people. This thing that – it's kind of one of those things. Obviously, the characters are going to survive, or at least Luke and Leia are going to survive because, hey, they, of course, appear in so many other things. But there's that question of, okay – if it was a suicide mission, suicide mission, it assumes that we just figure that everybody but Luke and Leia managed to die, probably. Instead, now we have the possibility of not only Luke and Leia surviving, but others surviving, which opens the door for other characters to come back. Gives you a real sense of danger for some of them, especially because this is around the era that because of her previous characterization, a lot of people were predicting that Dina was going to die in this series at some point, that she was not going to make it through Rebellion. Um, and this was the arc because it's focused on her that was assumed to be the one in which she would die. But by the time it's over with, she doesn't, which was a, a big shock for some. You ever notice, though, with uh, Rebel One that Mon Mothma's not anywhere around? Like, I mean, I just I didn't realize that on my first couple reads through it. But now I'm like, wait, Mon Mothma's distinctly not there at all. Like, not to make any of these decisions. Uh, do we know where Mon Mothma is at this point? I mean, is there a reason why she's not showing up? Maybe on another flagship. She's not on Rebel One. She's not on Home One. And maybe she's with one of the other ships uh, as a way of spreading out the leadership. I mean, Maydeen's not there either at this point, though uh, his his backstory is so screwed up. Who knows whether they're even going to be saying <laughs> at this point whether he was a rebel or not. Um, there are so many different variants of, well, here's how he actually gets from the Empire to the rebels. But a lot of times they don't actually coincide correctly. Um, so... We find that our strike teams have landed where they were supposed to land. Um, They're making their way to these fuel tanks to blow them up, only to realize, uh, and the person who realizes it is an unnamed rebel character who can then die seconds later, um, these tanks are empty. Turns out that they're not going to be able to do the chain reaction that they thought because the tanks have been emptied, presumably by Devox. Somehow or another, he has made sure that they are empty, or the ones the rebels have landed on are empty, because, again, he knows they're there. He knows there are infiltrators there. And this is essentially a trap for them set up on spur of the moment. So Leia and Basso, or excuse me, Leia and Abel, the guy from General Skywalker, the clone trooper that survived, that winds up getting met by Luke and so forth, um, they wind up getting themselves captured. We've got uh, Luke and Dina with another couple of unnamed Rebels in strike team uniforms who wind up also being caught by stormtroopers who kill the two unnamed ones as Dina pulls Luke back. And then uh, Luke basically engages the stormtroopers, making his, as as uh, Mark called it, the caveman face. The one time where Colin Wilson's art just strays into what kind of territory like we got so often with Invasion. Um, and Luke sends actually Dina 
to finish the job. He has her go through a blast door, essentially, and then fuses it closed so she can carry on the mission, which she doesn't think she can actually do by herself, and the stormtroopers are able to stun Luke. So you got uh, Luke and Leia and uh, Abel and some other unnamed rebels uh, who you see in some of the other shots but never get any real screen time to say much of anything other than, uh, are you okay, sir? All captured and brought before Rishik and Devox, who plan to turn them over to the Empire or to their superiors in the Empire as a means of advancement for themselves. It's that stereotypical, aha, I don't like being in command of this backwater place, and by doing something big for the Emperor, this will be my chance to get the heck out of here and get a promotion. Um, that stereotypes at play, though, at least in many other respects, the way Devox has acted, the, the, the way he's ahead of the rebels, has been a little bit uh, out of the stereotypical norm. I do like the fact that well, Luke... I, like, uh, yeah. I want to comment on that real quick, because I like the fact that like Palpatine seems to have done that well. Like He takes officers that have somewhat competency and sticks them out in these really crappy locations where all they want to do is get out of there, and they're all plotting and scheming. Like I always seemed like that was like something Palpatine was doing, like forcing all these people to be plotting and scheming, trying to, you know, backstab each other to get their way out of it. And so it seemed like that played well into the character. When Luke's speaking to him, I do like the fact that he basically pulls an Indiana Jones, pulls a Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. You know, they're wanting to know who is the girl. They saw Luke with Dina, and now, you know, who is she? Where is she? Et cetera, et cetera. And Luke's answer is, she's no one. Her orders were to get off this station if any of us were compromised and to bring back forces to rescue us. She's long gone by now. Which is, you know, the equivalent of the whole, you'll never find him. He speaks blah, blah, blah languages. He knows all these parts of the world. With any luck, he's got the grail already. And then they cut to, you know, you know, Brody There's walking Brody. through. He's like, and he's, you know, he, you know, does anybody speak English? And you realize there's <laughs> no way he's as competent as he was made out to be. It's just a, a, a bluff. It's got a Luke bluffing Rishikin Devox here, but they don't fall for it. Like, yeah, no. Wherever she is, we're going to find her. And we find Dina, at least momentarily, sort of wallowing in some self-pity, at least briefly, and and crying until finally she's like, you know what, I've got to get this done. Uh, bravery by osmosis, so to speak, you know. Um, the, the fact that she was joining Luke on this mission maybe was going to help her rediscover her own courage. Now she has to do it. She's made the choice to be there. She's going to get it done. Use the frustration, use the adrenaline, put them to use, and basically take it one step at a time to get through this mission. So she gets to essentially a... Uh, a command center type area, a security center, and is able to stun the guy who is monitoring the screens and such there, where she not only learns where to find the others, but she learns that there is a bigger issue at stake. Um, as a strike against the rebellion to try to silence the rebellion, there's a preemptive strike that's supposed to be going on soon against the population of a planet that is suspected of harboring the Alliance. They'll uh, tell who it is when we finally get to the end of the story. But it's this idea that there's bigger things at play here that Dina now knows about, and maybe she can find a way to get the rebels to somehow stop. Uh, so she now has even more responsibility. When she finds out that Beso is still alive uh, and still around, he essentially is like, you know, I can't do this from where I am at this point. You have to finish up the job. You have to blow up the tanks. You have to destroy Banistar Station. Uh, it's on you. You know, Skywalker brought you because he believed you were capable. It's time that you actually proved that, kind of giving her uh, the tough love kind of talk. Uh, but before she can do anything about it, she is found in the security station there by Rishik and 
some stormtroopers. And Rishik pulls a, I like to call an errorless Duran, referencing back to the first Star Wars fan audio drama uh, online out there, Second Strike, that I spearheaded there, um, and pulls the, oh, I am a scummy, cavemanish, uh, primitive kind of guy, and I've just caught a female character um, who is supposed to be somewhat attractive. I am now going to essentially brutalize her as a way of kind of making him even more evil and making us hate that vengeful character even more. Um, he says, for whatever reason, your friends are of value to the Empire, but not you. With you, I am free to do as I please, and before you die, I want to play a little. Now, that could be, before you die, I'm going to beat the living crap out of you, as it would be with any other character. But there is still that disconnect, I think, between male and female characters. If it's a male character, you know, I want to play a little, we immediately think torture. If it's a female character, you immediately think rape. Uh, I don't know if that, you know, I'd be curious which one of those Jeremy Barlow intended, or if he was meaning to leave it vague so that it was something that, you know, was kind of uh, a nebulous threat that we could sort of put our own worst possibities in mind, uh, come up with worst-case scenarios that are worse than what would actually happen. But it is a disconnect, uh, if that was intended, between what we see in a lot of other elements of this story where this could have been a male character that was uh, down on himself and would have come out of it very much like Dina did, that there's sort of a gender neutrality in that sense. Um, though I, I highly doubt that you would have seen, you know, um, there's a shot in the next one where he's grabbing uh, Dina and you think maybe he's about to commit sexual assault on her and she's sort of laying back on a console or pushed back or held down on a console. Whereas I don't think you would have seen, if this was a male character, them being bent over a console as if he's like, you got a pretty mouth, let me see that bottom. You know, there is a disconnect between the way that sometimes is taken and I'm I'd be curious from the listeners out there who have read this whether or not when you read that line about him having time to play, and there's a point at which he talks about how they don't have much time to play, um, were you assuming that by play he meant rape, or were you assuming it was torture, and how much of that do you think was intended by the author versus what we read into it because of how many times we've seen similar scenarios with female characters being abused by uh, strong, evil male characters? Yeah, and the look on her face, you know, played well because there's definite look of terror in her eyes, and that that's where you know the art really I, I like it. Like you know, there are moments like the Luke with the the caveman face where that style kind of just becomes prominent at times, but for the most part, it 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 really works well. Like that the figures, the the shape of their bodies, uh, you know, everything's proportionate. The lines and stuff are all nice and crisp. Um. Yeah, I mean, I like the way that plays out. Abel, actually, you can tell that it's Abel for the most part. I mean, you know, other stories, they, they kind of just blur things out. I think the, the the facial configurations, they're more disserved when things get, like, screamy. Like, when characters are yelling and stuff, that's when it kind of breaks down to that caveman-like look of the style of the art. But, you know the backgrounds and stuff and just the character bodies and things like that. It, it does a good job. The lines are great. I love the way that they play out. Um, and I like also how Abel's like trying to tell Leia, you know, I'll, I'll get you the lightsaber, you know, and he's got, a, he's got a plan. Like he's ready to go. And even later there's a scene where he's still calling Luke general. <laughs> I love that fact to you. Like Luke, you know, Luke was a Jedi. So of course, you know, anytime he says a Jedi, he's still stuck in that old clone war mentality of he's a general. And even though Luke isn't a general, he calls him general. And so it's kind of like become a nickname for him in, of sorts. <laughs> and that brings us to issue 13, part three. Uh, we find uh, Leia and the others still held captive, but 
uh, Abel's trying to basically convince her to, to be able to make a move if they can get a distraction, somehow get their hands on Luke's lightsaber, which Devox has sort of paraded around for a moment and uh, has sitting on a counter. Um, this is an issue where the art a couple of times is kind of, huh? There's a moment where Devox is holding up the lightsaber and says, you aren't really counting on her to save you, I hope, because if she's not dead already, etc., etc., where he's looking sort of sideways at the characters. His eyes have to go all the way to one side to look at them, and it looks like one of his eyes has made the trip and the other one not so much, uh, which makes you wonder if Devox has a, a, a lazy eye of some kind because his eyes aren't pointed in the same direction. Um, I was thinking artificial, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it could like, be something, yeah. Which jumps us to Rishik, uh, where we just last saw him holding uh, uh, Dina. He does give the impression that maybe he's actually meaning torture because he says, uh, uh, now where should we start? We don't have a lot of time, so we must make the best use of it. I could squeeze just a little bit more, he's holding her throat, and put you out, then make you guess which of your bones I haven't broken when you wake up. So there's that chance of, oh! you know, And there's a relief, oh, maybe that wasn't rape. But I still think that was probably what, what was being suggested, or at least it's certainly what many of the readers read into it. And Dina, for her part, patoos! She spits in his face. Wishes causes him to go completely ape guano. But that's another moment where the art isn't serving the story well, because as we see a panel of him, like, ah! with the spit on his face, but then he, there's a, there's a panel of, I don't know if he's throwing her, dropping her, if she is falling backwards out of his hands. It's just like him with his arms open and her falling backwards and somehow she smashes back first horizontally into what looks like a bank of glass or of computer screens or something. So I can't tell, did he throw her because she spit on him? Because he's got his he's got his left hand around her throat, and then on that next scene, the left hand's flung back. So he's grabbed her by he's thrown her by the throat, and that's why her body flips over itself. How is I it? Mean, so, but how is that? How is it showing his arm thrown back? His arm is forward in the next shot. No, that it's the different arm. His left arm is now cocked back, and his right arm's coming around. So it's kind of like he's just like flung her back with his left hand. His left. I mean, his left. His left arm is like. Like if if to to put this in perspective, the the top part of his arm down to the elbow is coming straight out from his torso, uh, in line with the line of his torso. Then you got a ninety degree angle or so of the of the bottom half of his arm from the elbow to the fingertips, pointing towards Dina. I don't see how that's cocked back or pushed forward. It's like he's in mid motion. I wonder if they changed it. I'm reading the trades. Are you on singles? I'm on singles. Yeah. Huh, because in mine, he's he's got his arm, is, uh, he's, you know, his butt is towards us, and he's got his left elbow cocked. Whoa, and he's whoa, turning. his butt is towards us? Yeah, in, in the one okay, I've got. Okay, no, I guess he, I guess his butt is kind of towards us. He's, okay, so it's, maybe that's what, maybe that's what the issue is for me. Um, I can't tell. Yeah, if you thought he was standing with his, if his crotch was towards you, it would, it would definitely be a little more weird, but the, I think that's his butt. The he's way flinging that, his elbow back. The way his feet are pointed it's hard to say because his right foot yeah. is pointed in such a way that it should be his butt pointing at us. His other foot is pointed in a way that it should be his crotch pointed toward us. And either way, his his torso has swiveled um, so that it's per- the line of his torso is perpendicular to the line of his hips. So, yeah, I have what he's trying to show. Suffice to say, Dina winds up getting tossed and smashed into this bank of monitors. We don't want to harp on it too much. Suffice to say, it's just not a clear moment. Um, and as yeah. she's laying on the ground amid this, these pieces of broken glass, he's threatening her, of course, 
again. Um, you know, I try not to get carried away. Really, I do. But then I enjoy what I do so much. You have no idea how tedious life gets around here. So few opportunities to indulge myself. I worry sometimes that I'm losing my edge uh, in sort of threatening and threatening and threatening how bad is what he could do. And she still has that terrified look on her face, which is great. Even if it's not supposed to be rape, um, the terrified look, this is Dina facing a demon, so to speak, not just her demons, but facing off with someone that you know she would probably have said a day ago she would never have been able to defeat. She grabs mm-hmm. a piece of glass off the ground, not a big shock, uh, kind of predictable with the glass on the ground all around her, stabs him in the leg, manages to grab one of the charges that uh, uh, were in the bag that she was supposed to use to destroy everything. She grabs one of them. He's taken several of them out. She uses that to blow up some of the stormtroopers and make her escape. Uh, but she's only managed to really hold on to uh, one, or they're only going to manage. She's only going to manage to have one to do the rest of her job, in a sense. Uh, meanwhile, back at home one, uh, the plan is put in motion by Pollard and Akbar to send in the prototype or barely out of prototype stage B wings, which is kind of cool to see them you know, playing into this because it's something that the rebels did develop on their own. Um, uh, putting the B-Wings into motion, uh, Dagger Squadron, to go in and try to save the others. We have a Falene pilot, we have a human pilot, a, a Troit, uh, and some others. We have a Dantel saying, you know, she wants to take part. You know, she had promised Biggs, essentially, um, that she'd help take care of Luke before he died. And, you know, this is her chance or one of her chances to do it. Turns out there is one member of Dagger Squadron, a Verpine, I believe, who's able to say, hey, you know, she can take my ship. I'm in no hurry to fly off and get killed, so have at it. So Dantels manages to have, thanks to that human moment by that other pilot, um, has the chance to join Dagger Squadron and be part of this rescue. Another nice way to bring in this character um, that previously existed in the pages of uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron 1 half and uh, Empire. But as we go back, I like the way that Dina pulls this off. It's Dina on her own. Luke, Leia, we're pretty much just ignoring them for the rest of the issue. Um, Dina is running, and in typical Dina's luck, she winds up crawling along uh, like a catwalk, only to find that it ends hanging out over space, which granted she knew as she got to it, but it's kind of like one of those, wow, you know, she's being forced higher and higher by the pursuit. Is she choosing where she's going, or is this something where essentially um, he is choosing where he's sending her. She, it says, not letting her think far enough ahead to anticipate where her path might be leading her, but it leads her to an opportune spot because she is over a Star Destroyer that is being refueled and is able to take one of those explosive charges and drop it over the edge so that they don't have to put the charges on the fuel tanks themselves. She drops the charge into the Star Destroyer through its fuel opening, whatever, um, and it planks down and goes into the liquid fuel. I guess I never really thought of it as liquid fuel before of, of starships very often in Star Wars. What's liquid fuel? Um, gas. It ends up falling into the liquid fuel so that when it explodes, it takes the fuel in the Star Destroyer and the Star Destroyer itself with it. Um, but thankfully, they don't use that as the, there's an explosion and that causes Rishik to fall. See? Um, he was defeated by Dina, but in a roundabout way. We get to see Dina herself actually deal with him. Okay, um, as she is running. He gets caught up on some tubing and falls and is hanging, about to fall to his death. And Dina has one of those, again, kind of a cliche moment where she has to choose whether to let him die or be a hero and try to help him. She reaches out to help him. He tries to attack her, but 
again, to show that she is growing as a character and does have some strength to her. She doesn't allow herself to be pulled down when he reaches up to grab her. Instead, she kicks him in the face, and he goes fallen. And he's falling before the explosion happens. So this was Dina defeating him, not in some roundabout way, but actually... You know, even when he tries that stereotypical mustache-twirling villain-type move of, Help! I'm going to fall! Ha-ha! Now I've got you! Um, she's able to beat him. And as you said, she wraps the, the rope, one of the ropes up there, one of the tubes up there around her arm. The Star Destroyer explodes, and we're leaving issue 13 with her hanging by that tubing over lots and lots and lots of flames from a, a cascade of explosions going on, and that explosion allows Abel to finally make his move in the command center as he says, NOW! And we see him very briefly smack a stormtrooper as issue 13 rounds out. Now, you know, we, we mentioned it before I asked the question about this being a descendant of Revan. I'm not going to say this is, but I will make an argument that she could be. Um, you know, running purely on adrenaline and fear, Dina escapes, or Dina's instinct pushes her to escape. Instinct. Forcing her even higher. Forcing. Clouding her judgment. Not letting her think far enough ahead to anticipate where her path might lead her. And yet it puts her right in that perfect location. You know, and then when she drops it, you know, it, it's the Luke Skywalker one in a million shot. I mean, earlier when she was getting mad, when she was crying and all caught up in emotions, you know, she started to get mad at Luke and was going through all those classic, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. And then she kind of snapped herself out of it. You know, I mean, there was like a definite internal monologue play of a dark side at work here even though that's not the actual case but i will make an argument that you know the potential is there that she could be you know a descendant here but when the when the detonator drops into the fuel tank one of my favorite panels here is rishik is is gonna look like oh poodoo and she looks like yeah mother well, just cut your wang off like, <laughs> like i just pure evil satisfaction on her face like she knows what she did but when i was reading this my first time through the next two pages stuck together so for me it went from her looking like that to all of a sudden risha getting shoved off and i'm like what did she just shove him off like i didn't realize that i'd missed that you know he'd almost fallen off he chased her and tripped and, and got caught up on the wire and that was what had made her go back for him i thought she just shoved him off the thing all this time i'm like oh oh interesting like I mean, it plays well either way, but like, I thought it was pretty cold on her part and a happy cold. I was like, yeah, she just shoved him right off the edge. But then you find out like, no, he actually pulled a punk maneuver and then she actually got vindication. Cause as you said, when she kicks him, the thing I like is like, he grabs her right foot and she kicks him with the left. Like, you're going to take me, I'm going to kick you in the face as I go down. And it, it's enough to knock him off the edge. But yeah, when she wraps the arm around, you know, it's all she can do is hope against hope that she'll somehow survive what's coming. Uh, that's, that's the desperation moment there. It's like, what, what else can she do? She's so far up in the air and she's really taking a gamble that, you know, I mean, there's nothing really to say that what she's attaching that, you know, what's attached to the other end of this rope is going to hold once the explosion blows. I mean, it's literally a leap of faith that she's taking here, which to me is the perfect homage to what's going on with Luke in Empire Strikes Back. You know, he did the fall down the shaft and then he's hanging at the bottom. She's doing the same thing. You know, she's pretty much giving herself up for dead. That course brings us into the last issue, the last non-vector issue of Rebellion. 
as part four, issue 14. At this point, uh, Bannistar Station, as it says at the beginning, is burning. Um, all kinds of explosions and fires going on thanks to the exploding fuel and whatnot for that Star Destroyer exploding and then the damage that it causes collaterally and so forth. Um, and that's you, the shot that, that got me confused because it shows the landscape and you see multiple of those little tether stations up and you only see the mm -hmm. one really blowing up. Right, and it seems like it's much more of like the chaos from it is what causes more of the damage because you've got a couple of different Star Destroyers that are like, we're too close to the other ships, we've got to move out! And then a couple of Star Destroyers crash into each other, which is always something I think always looks kind of goofy when you see it happen. Um, because it's got like the front of the Star Destroyer like breaking off and that sort of thing. But, you know, it works for what it is. No artist I think has ever really nailed that for me so that it looks realistic. It always seems like it's much more of like the Titanic snapping in half kind of thing. Um... Which, of course, is realistic in and of itself, but we're talking Star Destroyers here. Um, see some of them crash. Just It becomes kind of a, a mess, what's happening here. And inside the command station, of course, you still have the rescue attempt going on. Abel has managed to rescue the others by getting out of his restraints. Um, Devox is now their captive, who says that he'd rather die than join the rebels or whatever. Um, and Abel's about to shoot him. And Leia, of course, says, no, 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 look at him, he's finished. Killing him now would be murder, and I won't allow that. As if he's not going to blow up with everything else once you escape anyway. Um, and, of course, he does what the stereotypical villain would do, which is then grab a blaster, pull it on them. You know, you should have killed me when you had the chance. In fact, he even says, you should have killed me when you had the chance. Uh, Luke's reaction is to grab his lightsaber, and I like the fact he slashes down, and he doesn't just destroy the barrel of the gun. This isn't Luke in the kitty-friendly sort of way that we see him often in the comics, uh, especially the old Marvel stuff. He slashes down, and he doesn't just slash the weapon in half. He cuts off both of Devox's hands in the process. I had an issue with that because in that shot, it only looks like one hand's been cut off. It looks like the right hand was still attached, but then every other panel does give you the impression both hands were cut off. But so now, in I this case, like, you can't... You can see it, though. If you look at the, the shot where he's slashing the hand off, okay, you have the slashed apart blaster, you've got the hand where you see, like, the, the blue, you know, explosion or whatever you want to call it that they're using yeah. to emphasize the cut of the blade, and the hand coming off that. But if you look at the hand that's holding the trigger and grip of the, bla of the uh, blaster rifle, you can see that the wrist of that is separated from the rest of him. There's a, there, there's a oh, black oh, shadow of his hand yeah. and his wrist. Okay, yeah, absolutely. No, that, okay, well, there I go. And then we show him in the next panel his hands being, his lack of hands being held off panel. He's like, Gah! Although in that case, it looks like his face is melting somehow. I'm not sure how having your hands cut off <laughs> would cause your face to apparently melt, but that's Colin Wilson's art from time to time. Um, he, he does well with the chaos of the battle that's coming up, but sometimes, again, sort of the, the, the facial shots, like you were saying, when someone's in an extreme anger state, fear state, rage state, whatever, um, that's when it all starts to go off the rails a little bit. So, Basso well, has got... One other thing with Basso that's weird is Basso, he goes, affirmative, I wasn't able to hit the communications array. Which, if you go back, when they're falling out of the ship and Leia starts barking out orders, you know, I'm going to go with Abel, I'm going to blow up this thing here, Luke, you're going to go do this. She goes, Basso, you and your crew knock out the station's communications array and find us a way off this place. And he goes for the, f I found the way off the place first, like, 
Like, wait, I didn't know she was giving you an option there. Like, I thought she wanted the communications array and then find the other thing. Like, you well, didn't we, do what you were told. Well, we did see when he is con- when he's contacting Dina that the rest of his team has been taken out and he's kind of on his own at that point. So it, th- that at least gives you some reason for why he might have gone for the escape first. Or it could just be he was on his way to the communications array and, oh, things are exploding. I guess I should probably go get that shuttle now. Uh, so he gets a, a Lambda-class shuttle. Um, to take off, Dina is essentially still hanging over all of the destruction, um, uh, ready essentially to die in the process. You know, she's become extraordinary after all, but she's the only one around to see it, she thinks. Um, Leia and Luke and them decide to make uh, another pass around to see if they can get to Dina, see if she is still out there uh, and can be rescued. Uh, Luke says he can feel that she is still alive out there and they can't leave her behind, so... Uh, you get that sort of Empire Strikes Back type of returning for the person hanging moment. Uh, the Handless Devox swears that he will hunt Luke down to his last day uh, if he survives all of this. Um, he presumably won't because we don't wind up seeing Devox again. Uh, is only referred to in Shadow Games and in this story here. Um, but Dina, as she's hanging, they find her in the shuttle. They bring her aboard. She gets a nice moment with Luke as they bring her aboard. And as they're bringing her aboard, here comes the cavalry dagger squadron coming out of the sun, which looks really cool. One of the coolest um, uh, panels of the entire series of Rebellion. And it's given a full page for the one panel where four B-wings from dagger squadron come out of the sunlight uh, charging down. And this is when I think Colin Wilson really shines because this battle is very chaotic. But you can still generally tell what's going on. He's he's got enough detail that it feels like wow, we got all, a, a lot of nitty gritty detail of these pilots and their ships. And even when we're seeing them um, from outside of the ship, you can still see into the cockpit and see some of the gear around them and whatnot. Um, feels like the detail level just goes up a notch uh, when he gets into this yeah. starfighter battle, which is good because it's it's one of the cooler battles that we get in comic form outside of the X-wing Rogue Squadron comics. But essentially, they're just coming in doing what they can to, to blast at the Imperials and keep them busy as the shuttle escapes. We get another cool shot of the four B-Wings and the Lambda-class shuttle leaping to hyperspace, and our heroes are away from Bannistar Station with their impromptu mission complete. All that was left after that, of course, is sort of the denouement, which we'll get into in a moment. Yeah, you know, when Devox is sitting there in the station, it's all going up around you, you almost get the feeling like they had more plans for him. Like, at that point, I was like, oh, dude, like, how cool would this guy be, you know, if he came back with robotic hands and a total, you know, hate on for Skywalker, like... That would just been a great villain, you know, like I I totally got the feeling like they were planning on making him have that no body, no death kind of comeback, you know, Uh, but the next scene where where Dean is hanging and they got the, the three different panels down below and the one with her going what and her face is all bloody and tear streaked. I really like that page. You know, we talk about like the, the page that's literally right behind it. You were mentioning the with the B wings flying out of the sky. This one, even though it's not one panel. I, I, I love everything that's expressed in this one page. Like, you know, you, you see her hanging that moment. You see her kind of just, you know, she's beat up, b- bloody and crying, you know, despair. Pretty much knows she's hosed but is hanging on for dear life. Or, or probably at this point can't even bother to hold on. It just wrapped around her arm so well. Uh, but then you literally witness, you know, the front of the Lambda cl- shuttle open up with them standing on it. You watch her bring them up. You see her all bloody in Luke's arms. You see Leia, you know, up in the front of the cockpit leading. And 
everything in this panel just works. You know, I, I love it all. It's great. But then, yeah, as you're right, we get into the, the B-Wing, and that is the best stuff. I mean, that's I love the fact that, you know, uh, uh, Dentelli's, she's now, you know, what is it, Blue Dagger or something like that, uh, and they all got a different dagger name, and, and they talk about the fact that, you know, flying the B-Wing is a little different and stuff like that, and that you need to... Uh, you need to, it's like flying two ships and stuff. And he, he tells her another thing. He's like, uh, remember those flight, these fighters are gyroscopic. Don't assume that the ship is rotating around you. It's critical that you know where your tail section is at all times. And, you know, from somebody who loves B-Wings, that was always something that always got to me. You know, that the fact that they spun around that cockpit as well, it was like, man, that would be so hard to fly. And the fact that they take a moment to kind of touch on that, that was really cool for me. That, that kept the, the in-universe detailing of it right there at the forefront of your mind because that to me was always something that i've always wondered about you know when i was flying uh b-wings and the x-wing games and stuff i mean it was like shouldn't these be like spinning around me some more or something like i i've always in enjoyed the aspect of the way those worked and to have them actually talk about the gyroscopic effect was really cool and then they also talk about the fact that you know it's as hard to fly as two starfighters was like okay well that's that's cool because that's part of the reason why the rebels made this is because these ships are so awesome. I mean, they talk. I see why you brought the extra preload. Then they come flying in, just blasting, yeah, just lighting the place up. I mean, which goes back to the front cover of of you know the trade paperback and issue number four where you see them flying in. I just that artwork is just glorious. I love it. That you know, you mentioned that inside the cockpit, you know, you you get all the detail, and even though it's not like crisp colors, uh, it's got just you know the the I don't know it's kind of, kind of like a dark empire feel to the way the colors are going on but it's kind of like orange and red colors on the inside it works I love it it's got a grittiness that feels very Star Wars without being too gritty and that brings us to essentially the last moments of the story we've got everybody's back aboard home one they're back with the rebel fleet uh, where of course we see them in so many other stories in this time period so it makes sense for them to be back at this point um, Han Ham, you mean ham solo? Ham? Where does it say ham? No, he just, he looks like he's oh. put on some weight. <laughs> he does look like he's put on a little bit of weight and such. Um, but uh, most of the guys, you know, Colin Wilson's art makes it so that most of the guys look like they're made out of marble and somebody's punched the marble a few times. There's a bunch of cracks in it. So it's kind of hard to tell ages and facial structures uh, sometimes. But uh, Han basically is like, you know, gee, you why didn't you tell me? I would have gone on the mission, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's even a point earlier where they're like, yeah, don't tell Solo about what's happening because who knows what he's going to do. Um, but th now they still, of course, have that dangling thread of, well, what about this planet, which turns out to be Ancyon from the approaching storm and the Boda dispute on Ancyon that we hear about in Attack of the Clones. Um, what about that planet? Somebody needs to warn them, but the fleet's not necessarily in a position to have a full-blown battle with the Empire. Um, but they say, you know what? You know, we'll send Dagger Squadron, you know, let's get some Rebels ready to go, uh, including Skywalker and Wedge and so forth, and we can send them to go warn Ancyon as opposed to having a capital ship go and do it. Only it doesn't really, the conversation about that doesn't really get very far because that brings up the, well, where's Luke? And Luke is actually visiting Dina in uh, the Med Bay, and again, she's... It's a cool conversation where he's able to sort of reinforce the fact that she really was a hero. She she goes from being someone who is down on herself to being heroic to recognizing that she was heroic to being kind of self-deprecating about it, which I think is sort of the mark of what they try to make out of a good hero. A hero doesn't necessarily uh, revel 
and brag about being a hero. They just sort of are, and they think, you know, well, I just did what anybody else would do, when that's not necessarily the case. Um, as you said, though, yeah, there are some moments where, especially the first panel as as uh, Luke is meeting her, it's like, you know, they told yeah. me you were awake. How are you feeling? He should have said, holy crap, you look like either me with long hair the way I look at the end of the Marvel series or... <gasps> Are you Prince Adam? Is this He-Man? Because Dina does not look like Dina in that shot. It looks like Colin Wilson got confused on who he was drawing in the bed. Yeah, that's the one where I was just like, wait, whoa. And But the rest of it works. I, I love the attention to details of the, the hall and stuff. As Luke's coming up, he knocks on the metal and things like that. And then you watch him turn in. I mean, they do a good enough job where the bulkhead, when he's knocking, when you look in the next panel, you can actually see that bulkhead through it from a different angle. I mean, the attention to those type of details are phenomenal. But yeah, there's occasions where you're like, wait, what? You know, well, like with uh, uh, Rick Ricker, when he was throwing Dina, I mean, you know, there's just moments where if you're not really paying attention to what's going on with this, that, and the other thing, you're like, wait, where's that going? Uh, but there was there was a moment earlier on uh, where when Dina, right before she drops the, the uh, detonator, she goes, uh, if anyone can save Luke and the princess, it's him. Skywalker once told her that a life isn't worthless if it supports the greater good. Even the smallest victories matter. Words she once thought hollow. And then at the end, you know, it gets back to that aspect of, you know, the, the smallest victories, you know, and uh, it goes, uh, let's see, uh, while Dina Sean joined the rebellion, her expectations were modest. She only wanted to save the galaxy. While such dreams can often lead to heartbreak and disappointment, Dina's come to see that a person's des she's come to see that a personal destiny need not be a grand to be important, that even the smallest victories matter. And I, I love the fact that for her, that small victory and why it matters also comes from the fact that Luke's the one that pointed it out to her. I mean, you definitely got this feeling like she had a crush on Luke and, you know, there was definitely some of it reciprocated. Although Luke kind of seems like, you know, he takes the good boy route where he's not like in it for having a relationship. He's in it because she's a good person and he wants to see greatness out of her. Well, hey. Uh, Remember what happened with Prithy? She was going to walk up. Oh, wait, that didn't exist at this point. <laughs> Dang yeah. you, continuity in Brian Wood. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you get that feeling like, you know, Luke's doing the right thing and you do feel like there is a romantic connection there, but it doesn't feel like it's a traditional romance. It's kind of like one of those survivor's romance kind of things. Yeah, he seems like he's about to say something else. Uh, Leia comes in and interrupts and... Uh, you know, says hello to Dina and whatnot, and Dina essentially says, you know, don't go off on any impossible missions until I'm healed up, okay? So you get that sense that she's really part of the fold. Unfortunately, this is about the end of her character development. She'll show up in Vector, and then she'll be gone because this series does wind up concluding. So it's 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 kind of like Devox, you know, what were they setting up here? There's a lot of potential here for going places, but they didn't. And these characters don't wind up being brought back really in previous, or in previous, uh, uh, in subsequent stories so it's just kind of a shrug, and at least Dina gets a full character. She's not left as the 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 second-tier, second-rate rebel fighter. She does wind up proving herself in this, and we get a story that ends with a bang. It in, Well, a lot of bangs, a lot of booms, uh, but ends with that cool uh, series of explosions, the B-Wing attack and whatnot. Uh, it, it serves it well, although, you know, I'm, I've, I'd, I really, really would like to find out where they wanted to go with this because you know for a, a while after this we don't get much in this era as far as star wars comics 
And there's sort of a sense of, well, maybe they kind of went back to the drawing board because this wasn't where they wanted it to be going. This is the one of the four involved with Vector that winds up dying. Uh, mm. Dark Times is still around for a while. Uh, heck, it just just recently ended. Legacy winds up continuing going, eventually getting a spinoff war, and then Volume 2, and Knights of the Old Republic sticks around until it gets war, though it really didn't need its war. I think that kind of brings down the series as opposed to, to lifting it up. But this series just kind of stops. You know, and which which goes back to that whole what's the promise of Vector? It's going to be big changes for each of the series that it's involved with. Well, maybe there's a big change in the Rebellion one, though we're going to see that that's not all that much the case. It's mainly in KOTOR and Legacy. But, you know, if, if there was meant to be a big change in that, even if there was a big change in Vector, it's not a big change for the series. It sends it off in a new direction because the series simply ends. There had to have been more plans for this series than to have it end with issue number 16. And yeah. the characterization of Dina, Devox, and such, this arc really seems to be stressing the idea that there was more to come that was cut short before its prime. Well, wasn't this also one of those series it was it started out as Empire and then shifted into Rebellion? Like, they had the plan going forward that they were going to pick up a lot of these story arcs and stuff. I mean, it yeah. definitely felt like the plan got derailed after Vector. Yeah, it's where they got to that point where they replaced, you know, they, they kind of got rid of much of their Star Wars line and came back with ones to replace it. And sometimes they were ones that carried off directly, like Dark Times carrying on from Republic, uh, Rebellion carrying on from Empire. And in other cases, they were something somewhat new. Yeah, it was it was that big shift in the publishing line. Yeah, it definitely leaves you with that question of what changed after Vector that they decided to turn in a different direction, because... Yeah, this was working. I mean, I was excited for where we were going. And, you know, I mean, let, let's think, what's the TV show kicking out right now? Rebels. I mean, this was a no-brainer series. I mean, <laughs> everybody wants it. Why are we going back to Rebels now if it wasn't something that people were desiring and a story that people wanted to know? So you definitely have to stop and question, you know, what happened somewhere up the line that someone thought that this was a bad idea and, and put the death nail on it? Because, yeah, yeah, Vector was was this big whole, ooh, we're making a change, everything's shifting, except for, you know, that's not shifting, that's stalling. <laughs> now, I, though I will say that you know there is something to be said, and we've said this before, for this era having so many freaking stories in it between A New Hope and Empire that the characters don't have time to go to the bathroom. When do they have time for all these new adventures? Um, re making a series like Rebellion or Empire in the first place, I think, was kind of a bad idea because of how much is already there. However, once you do it, make it meaningful. Make them interesting stories, make them impactful stories on the EU, or at least on the characters, and make it something that connects more broadly to the EU around it. I think Rebellion did a great thing by, among other things, if you look at the inside covers, it notes this: the, the events in this story take place approximately nine months after the Battle of Yavin. They're actually starting to pin these down in Empire and Rebellion to when they take place month-wise in relation to the events of A New Hope. So there's that sense that maybe there was a chance to sort of fit this in and sort out some of that mess between those years. And maybe it just got to a point where, you know, there's just too much already there already. They don't want to take the time to sort it out. So, you know, let's wrap it all up. But oh, it's a series I was sorry to see go, but at the same time, I was not happy to see launched in the first place, in its first incarnation as Empire, if that makes any sense. Back whenever they said they were going to take the ongoing Star Wars series and you'd have Republic and we're to 
they said that they were splitting it in half to have an ongoing series yeah. that they were going to call Empire, but it wasn't really in half. They just started a new story in a new era. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. I mean, they they did what the uh, Republic got to a point where Vader had the loyalties or whatever arc, and then they jumped to that one. It was like, okay, and now we're going to divide it. It was like, and, and that was weird too because it was like, well, the Republic line was actually Star Wars ongoing, which kept going, and then you then also called it Dark Times because yeah, it was like a, a three way split off. Like, okay, we're going to do Rebellion, Empire, and Dark Times, and they're all going to kind of launch out of this story arc, and yet then chaos ensued so jumping into covers we've got uh issue number 11 i i like i actually i have to say like the rebellion line was served probably the best with these uh the the bubble styles that we were talking about in previous episodes we don't like where they're talking uh this one it's got dina and she's kind of like suiting up and luke's in the back hall looking down at her and he's like are you all right dina and she's like no, I'm not, Luke, but I'm ready for the mission. And she's like, you know, fixing her left gauntlet and stuff. And it's mission of doom. Like, I, I don't know. I like these covers. The fact that they all, but the last one kind of focus on Dina kind of gives you the, the sense that, you know, this is a, a new story that we're focusing on someone that's not Luke and Leia so much. I don't know. For me, that that worked. I really liked it. And the coloring and stuff and the Christmas, the art on these are really beautiful. I like them. And these are also the same artist as the interior. A lot of times that's not the case in comics. But Colin Wilson did the covers for all four of these, not just the interior artwork. Yeah, I think that works. It's one of the better – if you're really going to capture the feeling of Dina in these stories or in these issues, that quick two-character exchange there found on the cover of number 11 fits it exactly. You know what you're going to get with this arc based on what it is that is being said on that cover. Um the Mission of Doom thing is kind of over the top. It's a suicide mission, but Mission of Doom. You know, it's, it's the old hyperbole of, of Star Wars. Issue 12. Shot in the Mission of Doom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds like it should be a, an Indiana Jones title or an old serial. Um, number 12 has her basically hiding from stormtroopers and says, alone with the enemy. And again, that, that does a pretty good job of capturing what's in the issue. Yeah, and I like that there's no bubbles on this one. Like, you don't have the soldiers saying anything. Like, the stormtroopers could have easily been going, looking for the rebel spy. I don't see her. She sabotaged a bunch of stuff. I like the fact that they didn't go there with that. The look on 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 uh, Sean again, like, she looks good in the armor. It's not like she's sexualized or anything, but the character looks like a leading character in the armor and the way they play it up. Like, I, I totally buy into this is her story just based off the covers alone. It's funny you mentioned the whole, you know, we're looking for the rebel. It reminded me, it popped into my head. You know, in, this is kind of an aside, but you know, sometimes you'll hear the same lines over and over again, like in a song or in a movie, and you'll hear it enough that you think you know what they're saying, that when you finally figure out what they're saying, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Even though it's been maybe decades that you've been thinking it was the wrong thing. Um, In A New Hope, there's the moment where you get the stormtroopers talking together by the tractor beam controls uh, as Obi-Wan's coming up so he can slip inside and turn it off and everything. Um, And there's this line about maybe it's another drill. I didn't hear that as drill until probably the special editions. I heard it as maybe it's another girl. So anytime (laughs) I see this cover and that was like, really they're so they're referencing Leia, like, like what's going on? Maybe it's another 
captive like Leia? What? Because I mean, you could sort of make sense of it if it was girl. It was just a weird sounding line. Um, I, I hear that line in my head every time I see the stormtroopers running here, especially given that if you look at the cover, I like the fact that um, of the three stormtroopers who are running on the cover of 12, it looks like the bottom one is like falling over. Like he's lost his step and about to fall flat on his face. He's like, guys, you're going too fast. Come on. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Come on. He's, he's the Dina Shan of the Stormtroopers. He's trying to it. prove himself. Um, <laughs> the, the cover to 13 is another one that, that uh, again, kind of captures what is in it. We've got Rishik versus Dina uh, fighting there on the cover. And it says peril at the hands of the Empire. And they got the cool... A setup where, I mean, there's a red background. The background doesn't really show us anything or tell us anything about where they are, but they've got their shadows being cast on the wall behind them. I thought that was a pretty nice yeah. touch. Yeah, and I, and again, I, I I like the fact that they chose when they did to stop with the bubbles. You know, the bubbles worked in the first one, and they did not need them in any of the others. And, I mean, they could have easily stuck it in and kept going with that style, but I'm glad they didn't. I mean, this one, they could have had him doing that whole little mouse, uh, you know, thing like, oh, you're weak kind of thing, you know, putting her down. And it would have worked just as well, but I'm glad they didn't. It, it plays better without it. You know, you see her fighting him. She's kind of shoving him off with uh, trying to grab his shoulder and pull him off of her. Uh, but the shadow in the background, that that really cool because it kind of gives you like that sense of where the light's coming from. I don't know. I, I love it. I love the colors. I, the covers on these are all really crisp. You know, the, the the lines and stuff, they don't have that when they start to shout caveman feel to them. I mean, you know, Ricker is a character that, that was very much the persona of caveman all the way through it. And in this cover, he just looks like a very haggard type character. He doesn't look as caveman-ish. And the last cover, uh, actually a couple things about this. I want to talk about the back cover uh, advertisement to this one here in a moment. It's one of my favorite advertising campaigns I've ever done with Star Wars. Um, but this cover, you got the you got the B wings coming in firing, and you know it's kind of one of those things where you know it's coming because you've seen the orders go out that they were going to be attacking. But I wonder if that was giving away too much. It's an awesome moment from it, but it's kind of like those trailers that show you the coolest parts of the movies, and then when you see the movie, you're like, oh, those were the good parts. Um, here, they're showing us the B-Wings coming in attacking. It's an awesome moment. It makes for a cool cover, but it does kind of give away that cool moment in the story. Um, and I can't look at this cover and what it says without laughing because it's it's the, the Dagger Squadron coming in. And it says, Deliverance. And I, it, So instead of thinking, you know, Star Wars music as they charge in an attack, <laughs> I'm thinking, bling, 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 bling. You got a purr in my mouth or something like that. I'm <laughs> Ned Beatty should be there. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. I was thinking, like, deliver us from evil, but yeah, oh boy. Oh, yeah. All wings report in. Pretty mouth standing by. <laughs> uh, but if you flip it over to the back, though, if you've got the single issues, this has that really, really cool um, advertisement, or one of the advertisements they did for the Star Wars miniatures when Wizards of the Coast was putting out the miniatures game. Not the current X-Wing one, where you get just the ships, but the one where they had some ships, but most of it was characters. And you've got, uh, if you haven't seen this or if you don't recall this, we may have to put a scan of it on the, the blog post. But you've got Kate Skywalker with uh, uh, Delia Blue at his side. And he's holding out a blaster towards where Darth Nil, Darth Talon, and Darth Crate are coming at him. And Crate says, Tremble, Kate Skywalker, before the terrible power of I, Darth Crate, who along with Darth Talon and Darth Nil will bring you to your knees. Kate says, Ha! 
It is you who should tremble before me, for I am a tough-as-nails bounty hunter. And Eli says, he's tough. Whatever. And then Boba <laughs> Fett, sh it shows Boba Fett then off to the side. Uh, and Dina and, or Dina, uh, see, I'm, I'm getting my characters all mixed up because we've been talking about Dina so much. Delia and Cade are now wrapped in the, the rope that is now shot from the gauntlet of Boba Fett. Boba Fett says, I'm a bounty hunter too, and you, Cade Skywalker, are my bounty. And I guess I'll take the pink girl too, because uh, she's now been trapped. And there's the spirit of Luke Skywalker from Legacy saying, stay away from that Skywalker. But Fett responds, eh, how'd you get here? Cade says, I should ask you the same thing. And then we see Han sweep in on a rope, kick Darth Crate in the face, and basically save Delia as Cade then punches Boba Fett. Uh, and Crate uh, says, uh, silence, let's bring it back to me, for I, Darth Crate, will... And as Han's sweeping in and kicking him, he says, Yahoo! You're all clear, kid! And finally, Cade pulls his blaster and just says, Someone tell me how this is happening! <laughs> and it's, with the Star Wars miniatures game, anything's possible. Mix it up with characters from any era across the entire Star Wars saga, for battles limited only by your imagination. And with the new 60-figure Legacy of the Force set, you'll be able to add 16 characters from the hit comic book, Star Wars Legacy. Star Wars miniatures, which is .com slash Star Wars. And... That was one of my favorite advertising campaigns of all of the Star Wars saga in this era where they were willing to just kind of say, you know what, we're using the expanded universe stuff to do some of these miniatures figures. Let's go all out and use them to also advertise it because, you know, what? how many, how many of us out there, so many of us, have played Star Wars games that mesh together characters from different eras, whether it's a card game, a miniatures game, a role-playing game, whatever – and if, or, or just been playing with toys, right? You know, you're playing with your toys from the Clone Wars era, but you get them fighting against characters maybe from, like, like Jason Solo or something. And there's that sort of thing where fans, when we play with Star Wars materials, whether we're as kids or playing games more as adults, or toys as adults in some cases, um, we mix and mesh the different eras quite often. And it, it, yeah. it, realistically, it would be a pretty chaotic thing. It's sort of a what the heck is going on here moment for the characters themselves if they were to see such a thing happening. So to see that done as an advertising campaign to me was was awesome. I wish they'd done more. They did maybe, what, two, three of these things. But uh, yeah. oh, it would be awesome to see them try to do something like that again. Though I guess now it would have to be characters from all over the EU together to say goodbye, possibly if a reboot is coming. That wouldn't be funny. I, I, I'm I'm just shocked by that. That's not funny. <laughs> I, you know, like when I do it, Boba Fett. It isn't Boba Fett. It's you know his ancestors wearing the armor, or, or Hondo Car actually got the armor from the Mandalore. Yeah. I don't know. I got to keep it in the universe somehow. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on, sharing our fandom. 
Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, or rebel one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or just a random ponder, you can comment to us about any episode you want. Fire it off. You can email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. That's right. And by way of, uh, I guess, a, a quick update and a new link here on all the medical stuff, um, we are still at this point awaiting word on whether my wife has cancer again, a different type of cancer or not. Um, after the, the ER trip with the gallstones and the cysts and everything back in August, uh, she was in the ER again in December uh, with the cyst bursting that sent her into shock, nearly died and all that. Um, that has brought the medical bill total up to something like 15000 at this point, just from those two visits. Um, she's now on my insurance, but it's a meh insurance that, that uh, the state of Georgia is actually being sued over by some teachers. Oh. Um, but uh, we've now gotten her in. She had to do a bunch of tests uh, a few, well, I guess, two weeks ago now, as of the time that you guys would be listening to this. Uh, then another set of tests, so she went to, to get a couple of of things done, then got a CT scan done the next day. We're still waiting on results of that as of the time we're recording this. Uh, that has added more to it uh, overall, so we're looking at somewhere between 15 and 20 grand at this point as far as the medical bills go. Um, and the co-pays, which are enormous, uh, co-pay is not like 30 or 40 bucks in this case. The co-pay for one of those visits for testing was $700. Um, basically, it's called a bill. It's called a bill. Um, Basically, at this point, what we've managed to save to try to put towards those previous bills has pretty much been wiped out by the new stuff with those other bills still on their way. So she has I, – I, I, the community has been awesome as far as just stepping up and trying to help where they can, uh, especially folks like Andrew Gilbertson who really kind of done above and beyond in – it's still possible if you want to donate, if you want to help us out, uh, you can PayPal Nathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com. But we've also set up, uh, Jody has set up, my wife, has set up one of those GoFundMe pages. It's, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like Kickstarter, but it's not something where you have to hit a goal for the donations to go through. And it's basically, here's my life situation. If you want to help, here's how. It's for people who have medical problems, people who have a lot of uh, student loan debt but haven't found themselves a place within their career where they're drowning and thinking of bankruptcy and that sort of thing. Um, so if you want to check that out, that's another place that you could donate if you're a little more comfortable with that, if you want to, to help out at all. Um, you can find out a little bit more about the medical situation. It is www.gofundme.com slash, and then the, the code for hers is what goes after the slash. Uh, it is 6CZ5L4. Uh, no rhyme or reason to it. 6 CZ5L4 after the GoFundMe.com and the slash. Um, any help is appreciated, even if it's just you know the kind words, the uh, the prayers and such, because this seems like we are in the position where I don't know. I, I'd like to think it's going to get better, but I have a feeling that we are still on the downward slope of this one. It seemed like we were on the upward slope a little while ago, but then. Uh, the rash of things that wind up leading to these new tests and such having to be done where there's a question of whether or not she may have have cancer again has just 
you know, sort of, sort of reshaking everything. It's like we were on the way back up, but then we hit the, the down elevator very quickly, and now we have to start trying to find our way back out of this. So just, uh, it, it's there, um, but I'll, I'll try to keep everybody updated on the Facebook page as we as we learn more. Hopefully by the time you guys hear this episode, we'll know whether or not it's cancer. She's got some biopsies that are supposed to come back this week. See, and uh, I don't know what it is about me and you and, and podcasting that is doing this, but my wife uh, has to go in for a biopsy as well. Uh, they think she may have some throat cancer. Uh, she went in for a thyroid, and they found out she's got a polyp or something like that that's almost completely blocking off her airway. Uh, and they said it's over an inch big. And they said that typically when they're that size, most of them are cancer. And she has to go in for a needlepoint biopsy where they're going to have to do an ultrasound just to make sure they do the biopsy right. Uh, and so she's got that coming up and is all nervous and scared about that because she's been talking for a while that her throat had been hurting and, and felt like, you know, she was swollen on that spot and stuff and was going in to have the thyroid checked. And they're like, oh, you know, yeah, you do have all these symptoms and stuff. Let's go in and do another test. And bam, that came back. So it's like, oh, lovely. And yeah, so I mean, luckily for us, uh, her insurance right now is good. Uh, and she just now got a new job. Uh, she's going to start working for the state. And that insurance pays uh, 90 or 95% of it all. So, like, I'm so thankful for that because watching what you guys have been going through and struggling with insurance and all that stuff, like, as soon as she's switching the jobs, I'm like, so how, what's that going to do? You know, cause she's like in the middle of all this stuff, you know. And luckily, uh, the state, like, it picks up immediately. Like, she doesn't have to do with 60 days or 30 days or anything like that. But yeah, I'm just same same boat now going, man, I hope uh, it's, I hope it's nothing bad but then there's the other side of it it's like okay if it's not cancer then what is it and you know i i just all those thoughts that come along with it you know now i'm kind of being in your boat it's just like man that's so nerve-wracking and you guys have been dealing with this for so long and you still got so far to go man my, my heart and prayers are with you guys and it just sucks that now now my wife's going through something similar i'm like what, what are we doing that is causing this to our women <laughs> uh, it's it's and and that's the thing it's always the it's always the other side. I think you and I were bo- are both in the position where we would say that if it came down to it, we'd much rather this this all be on us than be on them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, know, obviously I, it doesn't. And it my doesn't wife, can, she can keep the kids, you know, survived. Like, I think it would go Lord of the Flies real fast if it was just <laughs> me and the kids. <laughs> Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre out there, like maybe even Game of Thrones. And you can do this without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months and there are no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll ever see Dina Shan in a story again after Victor. Or that we will find out that she is indeed a long-lost relative of Revan. See, though, wouldn't that be an issue? Because if it turns out that she's somehow a long-lost relative of Revan and Bastilla Shan, and then we find out that Revan is uh, an ancestor of the Skywalkers, that means that Luke, once again, 
is potentially having a love interest in a family member. He's got problems. Deliverance. <laughs> Deliver us from evil! <laughs> Finish it! Finish it! <laughs>